0: Welcome to another Lost Ladies of Lit mini episode. I'm Kim Askew here with my co-host, Amy Helms.
1: Hi, folks. Kim, I learned about the subject for today's mini episode from my daughter's 13-year-old friend, Ava.
0: Is this the same Ava who helped us translate an interview with French-speaking Simone Schwarzbart from our fifth episode of the podcast? No, it's actually a different Ava. A lot of
1: (laughs) Avas out there who are 13. (laughs) All right. But I should back up a second and explain that at Julia's school this spring, all the students were assigned historical figures that they had to do research on and do a presentation on. Julia, for example, got Eleanor of Aquitaine. Love her. So... It's an all-girls school, and I assumed that they were all getting women historical figures, and I was just like, yeah, this is great. Mm -hmm. And then Julia told me that somebody got assigned Henry VIII, and I was like, "Why?" why? Totally. Everybody knows who he is anyway, and he's a
0: lady killer.
1: I know, and this is taking me to my little segue, which is that Julia and I just went to see Six at the Pantages Theater here in Los Angeles. Do you know about that? The premise of Six?
0: No. I mean, I know that it's a musical or something.
1: It's basically as if the six wives of Henry Eighth formed a pop girl band, like the Spice Girls. I need to go see this. Oh my God, it's okay. so good. Okay. Anyway, yeah, so they talk a bit at the end about women being written out of history and having their stories muted and how the production is a way to make the wives the focal point. They were all really amazing women. Once you learn more about them, it wasn't just that they were married to, divorced from, or, you know, killed by Henry VIII. So yeah, yeah. anyway, getting back to our topic today, when I found out who Julia's friend Ava was assigned, A, I didn't know who it was. And then when she explained it to me, I thought, this is perfect for the podcast. So I managed to nab Ava for a few minutes while she was over at our house for a sleepover. Let me just play this little interview, and then we can circle back with some more details. All right. All right, Ava, tell me who was your historical figure that you had to learn about for school. Morasaki Shikibu. Morasaka Shikibu? Yeah, Murasaki Shikibu. Okay, so what did you learn about her? I learned that she wrote the first novel in the entire world called The Tale of Genji. Oh, is it pronounced Genji or Genji? Yeah, Genji. Genji, okay. The Wait, the first novel in the entire world? Yeah. Say your name again? Murasaki Shikibu. Murasaki Shikibu, but we know, like, Shakespeare. We know all these other... That's because it was written in Japanese, so no one would really read it. Except Japanese people. Exactly. Maybe. All right, did you learn anything else about her life Um, that you can remember? I learned that she lived with her father, which was very rare for the time. And her father raised her daughter when she passed away. Oh, okay, that's nice. And do you know much about what the tale of Genji is about? It's about an emperor's son's concubine, I think. Or like the emperor's conc- concubine. Do you know what a concubine is? Oh, I racy. Remember. I think I learned, but I don't remember. <laughs> you like, I'm not going to say it here. All right, and was there anything that you felt like <laughs> when you were done researching her, anything that left you feeling like, whoa, I'm pretty impressed by her? Yeah, because she wrote an entire novel. It was 54 chapters, and it was the first one in the world, and she was a woman. Do we know what time period this was um I believe it was in 900 CE I think okay so that's really old she passed in 1014 okay more than a thousand Mm -hmm. years ago okay all right well thank you for um giving me your expertise that you learned of course it's new to me is it new to you Jules Yeah,
0: we do one on Eleanor of Aquitaine. Just,
1: yeah. For like a mini episode, I know. Oh, yeah, we can do a mini episode on her. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we'll circle back to uh, Julia's character for a future issue Eleanor of Aquitaine. She was pretty cool too, right, Jules? Yeah, there's
0: some really cool facts about her that are like scary and like scary well she was in prison
1: 10 years by her own husband Didn't she give birth in the prison yeah she gave birth in the prison all right well we'll circle back to that all right thank you ava thank you love that she did great great. (laughs) yeah yeah i'm lucky they humored me when what they really wanted was to just be getting on with their sleepover
0: (laughs) oh yeah staying up all night i don't know watching clueless i don't know what they do now but Mean Girls is when they like. Yeah, Mean Girls is good, similar, yeah.
1: similar vibe. Yeah. Um, but anyway, now that we know the basics about Murasaki Shikibu, we can flesh her out a little further.
0: You and I. Yeah, and flesh may be the operative word for this novel of hers. The concubine angle has me intrigued. I've heard of the title, The Tale of Genji, before, but I didn't know what it was about or anything, and I definitely had not heard the author's name.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's still hard for me to, like, say her name off the top of my tongue. You know, you have to say it a few times to really get it in your brain. It doesn't sound like this book is something that anyone actually reads anymore unless you are a scholar. From what I learned about it, it's written in an old language that's meant for Japanese courts, You know, so a style that would be very difficult for most people to understand today. Even Japanese people who might read it today would need to read a translation for that reason. But it is considered one of the most important works in Japanese literature, and Japanese citizens learn about it in school as a point of pride, even if they don't sit down and read it all. They know who she is.
0: Yeah. It makes me think of the way you're describing, it it makes me think of the novels of Courtly Love, the French novels and reading them in translation. They're interesting, but they still, they're definitely of a time and place, you know, that we don't necessarily relate to.
1: Okay. So I'm glad you brought up the novels of Courtly Mm -hmm. Love because therein lies the difference. And that is why this book in particular is considered the first quote unquote novel. Okay. It's because up until this point in time in literature, everything that was written was all myths or legends. So even those French stories you're talking about, they're fantastical tales. They're not really rooted in everyday life or the characters don't have inner lives that you're following or like inner psyches that you're getting to know.
0: I hear what you're saying. Okay. Yes.
1: This book doesn't really feature your standard plot that you would think of for a novel, Mm -hmm. but it depicts the characters with real emotions inner lives that anyone reading it would be able to really identify with. Um, There's a great deal of psychological depth to it, which is why people actually frequently compare Shikibu to a writer like Proust.
0: Well, at first I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to read it from what you said in earlier. um, But now I'm actually very intrigued and interested. And as Ava mentioned, Shikibu was living around a thousand years ago, but Murasaki Shikibu wasn't even her real name. It was actually a nickname. She was born to nobility. She was the granddaughter of a famous poet and the daughter of a scholar. She was educated and highly literate in both Japanese and Chinese writing. Chinese was a language reserved then only for men. And when her dad realized how talented a writer she was, he said, Just my luck. What a pity she was not born a man. In her 20s, she married and had a child, but her husband died two years after they were married. And eventually, because of the reputation she was establishing as a writer, she was selected to go serve in the imperial court. She served as a lady in waiting for a princess. And her job was basically to come up with poetry and stories to entertain. So Amy, do you want to expound a little bit on the premise of the tale of Genji for us?
1: Yeah. And I do want to say that obviously I haven't read it. I owe a huge debt to a YouTuber, Fiction Beast, who broke down a lot of this information. He basically likens the tale of Genji to an ancient Japanese version of Sex in the City or Fifty Shades of Grey.
0: Every book on this podcast gets a Sex in the City comparison. It's almost (laughs) like a cliche now, but Fifty Shades of Grey, I don't think we've ever maybe mentioned that. So is this an erotic book?
1: Not really by today's standards, no. Okay. I'm sorry to say.
0: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: there's nothing overtly explicit, but Fiction B says this book would have been written primarily for a female audience and people would have understood all the suggestive imagery Ooh, in it. Okay. So you kind of have to read between the lines, but yeah, you get what she's trying to say. Mm-hmm. So the title character, Genji, he is a young prince in Kyoto. His father is the emperor. But because his mother was a concubine, he is sort of like the playboy son. You know, nobody's really looking at him, expecting much out of him. He can just go around all day chasing women and partying, basically. But he's actually looking for the perfect woman, someone in the same mold as his beloved mother who died young. And in his exhaustive search, He tries out all kinds of women from all walks of life, but they all leave him feeling disappointed. So he ends up kidnapping a 10-year-old girl with the aim to mold her into his perfect woman. And this girl is named Murasaki, but most people think she's not really intended to be the author or anything like that. It's just coincidence that's got the same name.
0: It's not like they really know, though.
1: No, there's a lot about this that is unknown. It's so long ago. Yeah. But the book follows 70 years of Genji's romantic escapades, and then the story continues with his son and grandson. Throughout the book, Genji is obsessed with women, but he treats them like garbage. In the end, though, the way he's used all these women proves his biggest regret and angst in life. So he's kind of depicted by the author as both a bad boy and a tragic hero. You kind of feel sorry for him. If I understand correctly, Shikibu kind of implies that women's suffering in life is mostly caused by men, but that the men come out on the losing end of it all emotionally as well. So it's like a loss for everyone. Genji realizes that Murasaki, this girl that he, you know, kind of his... Pygmalion kind of project, was the true love of his life only after she is dead. So it's kind of a sad story. There is a ton of poetry woven into the text. And at one point, Shikibu marks Genji's death in the book by simply leaving an empty chapter which is an interesting creative device.
0: Oh, yeah. One of my favorite writers, David Mitchell, Number Nine Dream, which is a wonderful novel, amazing novel, set in Japan, um, does the same thing. I wonder if
1: he was like, Giving a nod to her. I'm sure. Her, yeah, yeah. I'm sure,
0: I'm sure. Um, and some people actually question whether Shikibu actually wrote this at all, which is sort of a familiar story on this podcast we always hear, and especially when it comes to women writers. Oh, maybe she didn't actually write it.
1: It's so long ago... The original manuscript was destroyed or vanished somewhere along the way. There's a lot we don't know, but there are like other contemporary people kind of writing about how excited they were to have gotten a full copy of Shikabu's Tale of Genji. So, you know, there's a lot that points to that she did write it. One thing that's interesting is the last line of the novel ends mid-sentence. The sentence is, Kauro introduces him to the... And then it just ends right there. So people don't Mm. know if this is intentional on her part, like the Sopranos series finale. You know, it just shockingly stops. Or is there more that is supposed to go along with this book that is missing? Or did she intend to finish it? And she was just adding on and on and on. And she just never really got to it. Although I don't know why you'd stop mid-sentence in that case. Right.
0: It's a weird stopping point. It is.
1: It is. And it was written in installments. So there's also speculation that shikibu isn't the author of the book after chapter 34, because people think the style changes slightly at that point. Um, they think she died at the age of 41 in 1014. Ava got that date correctly off the top of her yeah, head. I was her. very, yeah, she didn't have her notes with her or anything. Young and fresh brain. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, I'll also say that. Shikibu did not enjoy her time at court, apparently. She was either bored or annoyed with the fancy people there and felt like she didn't fit in. A typical writer. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But A Tale of Genji is considered a fascinating account of court life in the Heian
0: dynasty. I mean, I just want to step back and say for a moment, the first novel was written by a woman. She's writing about how men treat women and how they end up being on the losing end of an emotion. How complex is that? Yeah, it's, and it's how very incredible, feminist, and so yeah. amazing! It's crazy. oh my god!
1: I'm intrigued by the story itself. Yes, because there are parts of it that are I don't know if I would have the bandwidth to sit down and try to read a translation of this. Huh. But I would I would almost want somebody to just sort of do a spin on this book, a retelling or yes. something that would make it more accessible. Yeah, who's the
0: author of the Desmond Greek retellings? Um, oh,
1: right. Like Cersei? Yeah,
0: so Madeline, to, Madeline, uh, Madeline Madeline Miller. Madeline Miller, yeah, oh, yeah. She did it. Yeah. Madeline Miller, if you're listening. Um, Because I am intrigued by the story.
1: I mean, it's very long, Mm -hmm. but um, I did, in my research, there were snippets that I was able to see and I was like, oh yeah, I I didn't mind reading the little snippets, but it does sound like it could be quite a slog. You have to find the best
0: translation if there are more than one.
1: Yeah, there are, there are at least four English translations and the one that, seems like it kept coming up as maybe the best one to try. If any listeners out there want to give this a go, it's Harold called
0: the a- bloom. i just kidding.
1: Oh my God. You're giving me like PTSD from college. Just saying <laughs> that name. Um, but no, it's called the Tyler translation. So I forget what his first name is. Like okay. Rolf Tyler or something. Randolph Tyler, something like that. Uh, but the Tyler translation, if anybody wants to give it a go and if anybody out there has, Tried reading it or read it give us a shout out we want to know
0: go to our facebook forum and we will tell us there or tell us genuflect when you reflect yeah at your presence
1: yeah. and say good for you
0: we should also <laughs> point out that virginia wolf was a fan of this book so that's you know
1: that's speaking towards it yeah yeah
0: she reviewed the very first translation of the book which was published in 1925 She ends it by saying, the quiet lady with all her breeding, her insight, and her fun is a perfect artist, and for years to come, we shall be haunting her groves, watching her moons rise and her snow fall, hearing her wild geese cry, and her flutes and lutes and flageolets tinkling and chiming, while the prince tastes and tries all the queer savors of life, and dances so exquisitely that men weep, but never passes the bounds of decorum. Or relaxes his search for something different, something finer, something beautiful.
1: Virginia Woolf does a great job even with that line because yeah. I get a picture of what the beauty yes. and the imagery and, you know, what she's going to be bringing us. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I love that. Anyway, I don't know. This is going to be something for, like, when I feel like I've read every book in the universe, I'll be like, maybe I got to go for the tale of Genji. I mean, it is the very first novel. I know. It's almost like a challenge. Yeah. Like dancing in front of me. I know. Oh it's my hard God. for me to not try to like now go do it. Rosemary. I'm going to shout out Rosemary. because right yeah. so She's the one that's going to go read this. She's one of our listeners. She reads everything.
0: Yeah. If she hasn't already read it.
1: So. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's all for today's episode. Join us back next week for another Lost Lady.
0: Yes, we'll be talking about Canadian-born author Elizabeth Smart, her poetic prose novel by Grand Central Station, I Sat Down and Wept, garnered a cult following decades after it was first written, and the story behind the book is every bit as enthralling as the book itself. I can't wait for this one. Oh, so excited. Our theme song was written and performed by Jenny Malone, and our logo was designed by Harriet Grant. Lost Ladies of Lit is produced by Amy Helms and Kim Askew.